If your faith in Christ is not leading you to live a lifestyle of devotion to Jesus, then you're in danger. It's a message that America needs to hear today. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. I want to welcome everybody that's made it to our little house church here in Texas. And I also want to welcome all those that are listening online. As we have quite a following gathering online, listening, going on SoundCloud and going to gospelsavingchurch.com and listening. I want to welcome you for wherever you're listening all over the world. I'm thankful that you could join us here today and or whenever you're listening to the sermon, whether it be day or night. My prayer is that the Lord would encourage you and strengthen you in your walk with Him or bring you to Him wherever you're at with the Lord. So if you guys would just join me in a word of prayer, please, for our service, and then we'll get started and we'll start our teaching. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for bringing us all here today, Lord. Thank you so much for, God, all the support that you've given me through all this we're one week over a year being a brand new church, Lord. So I thank you so much for all the support that you've given me and how you've just given me more support as I just keep going for you, Lord. You just keep it going. And I just thank you for those that are, have been faithfully following me, Lord. And thank you, Lord, those that have been coming to church here in the house, Lord. And I'm so new to this. And Lord, I still don't even really know what I'm doing. As I was just talking to you this week about setting up my message this week, I really don't even know what I'm doing. And yet, Lord, although I don't know what I'm doing, Lord, this is the 53rd sermon that I'm preaching, Lord, right now today. So I, I don't know what I'm doing, but yet here we go 53 times. So every week, solid, every week, 53 weeks. I haven't missed a week, Lord. So I just thank you so much, Lord. I just pray you keep us going. And just, uh, I pray your Holy Spirit will continue to teach us and lead us and guide us as we continue to walk through Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. The 11th chapter is win now, Lord. Thank you and praise you, Lord. I pray you keep the devil, keep all his minions, and keep the enemy away from our minds today, Lord, or whenever we're listening to this, Lord. Just keep us away, Lord. Keep him away from us, Lord, excuse me. And help us to think clearly, Lord. And I pray your word would change us as we continue to listen and do the things you told us to do. And I, we praise you. I praise you. We thank you so much, Lord. We welcome you into this place, God. And we just... Ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
So if you guys want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, or if you're already there, we're going to be Matthew chapter 11, verses 7 through 11. It's interesting because when I first started Matthew chapter 7, uh, as the Lord had it for a while, you guys wouldn't know this, but I have a New King James Version Bible, and in my New King James, uh, the Lord was just kind of moving me to just do inside the little different topical areas, you know, uh, Matthew 10, 27 through 31 is labeled in my Bible, Jesus teaches the fear of God. So with that week we studied 27 through 31, that because that was just where the breaks were when, you know, they put together the new, the new King James Version, those breaks. So I just taught within those breaks. But then when I got to Matthew chapter 11 and I looked at verse 1, the next break wasn't until verse 19. And it hadn't been since like the first couple weeks of church that I haven't taught the first couple of weeks, if you go on back to my old sermons and you go to response and message of the messenger and you go all the way back to my early ones, you'll see that I taught a lot more. And that's because that's what the spirit was leading me to do. Then I taught my first two weeks of church. I taught a whole chapter. I taught Matthew whole chapter one and all of chapter two. And I can imagine doing that now because I can't even get five verses down in an hour now. But then I, I taught the whole chapter and I was I don't even think I hit an hour, you know. So anyway, God's been growing me. But here, when I got to Matthew chapter 11, I thought, wow, 19 verses. And, you know, we're talking about, I've taught, I've taught church, I've taught sermons where in the past, you know, six months where I've only taught one mess or one verse. And I spent an hour and five minutes on one verse. And I thought, oh my gosh, how am I going to teach on 19 verses in Matthew chapter 11? But then the Lord started showing me these breaks in between like, these different, you know, changes and things that happened during these 19 verses. And so... Today we're going to be in Matthew 11, 7 through 11, and we're only going to study these, whatever that is, five or six verses. And, you know, praise God, it, there's, a, there's breaks there, and he showed me the breaks. So I'm going to read it all, and then we're going to start our message. So if you want to start with me in verse 7, Matthew 11 says, As they departed, be Jesus and all those with him, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Wow. So, last week we studied Matthew 11, 1 through 6, and we got these messengers that came from John the Baptist, because John was in prison, and that was our sermon last week, The Great Doubt. And last week we looked at how John was in prison and his faith was wavering because of his situation. We talked about how impactful a situation in our lives might be, you know, in our belief in God. You know, a true soldier is not tested in times of peace, but in times of war kind of thing. So uh, this week we actually get to switch. Uh, we get to switch topics. We're still on John, but we've switched audiences. So, beginning of verse 7, just the beginning. I'll read it again for you. 
as they departed. Remember, Jesus was talking to John's disciples. Now, as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, hold on, put on your brakes. The who? The who? The multitudes? Did you just read it? The multitudes? Wait a second. How come we didn't read about the multitudes? I haven't, I haven't even heard the word multitude in I don't even know how long. It's been a while. But they were there. So they were even there when Jesus was talking to John the Baptist's disciples? Well, where were they? How come we didn't hear about them? Remember I told you a long time ago, many, many, many sermons ago, I told you that there were constantly multitudes around Jesus all the time. Here is a perfect point of what I was saying. We don't always get to read about them, do we? But they're always there. They're always there. Look at here. We didn't, did you even know? I didn't even, wouldn't even have known the multitudes were standing there when Jesus talked to John's disciples. He was so cool and so calm and so collected. Everything was so fine. You thought, you know, when you're in midst of multitudes, and the word multitude means thousand or thousands, it's multitudes, kind of a little hard to speak around thousands of people. Kind of a little, get a little nervous around thousands of people. You know, it's kind of crammed. It's not real comfortable, you know, like, you know, in a, in a space where there may be only be a, a whole room and there's only five people. He was around multitudes of people speaking to John's disciples that came to him. Just remember, just because we don't read the word multitude, they're always there. Generally, as a rule of thumb, if you're reading, as you read the Gospels over, from now on, you can keep in your mind as you're reading the Gospels over in your own personal time, there's generally always the multitudes around, even when you're not reading about them. The only time that Jesus really gets away from them is when he leaves them and goes away. But as soon as he comes down, like there was a time he went up on a mountain to pray all night long, he left the multitudes and went by himself, purposely got away. But if he was in the mix and teaching people and going to cities and preaching, there were constantly multitudes around them. Unless he left them, they were always around him. I just think it's fascinating because... You just don't read about them, but they're still there. I would have never thought they were there. I just thought that was a neat little gem that we uh, pulled out there. So what does Jesus say about John to the multitudes? Because remember, his audience changed. We had John the disciples, John the Baptist disciples standing there, and he was talking to them with the multitudes listening. Now they're gone. They went back to tell John the things that they saw, the things that they were seeing. Now it's the multitudes. What did he tell them? What was his message to them? End of verse 7. He starts asking them questions. He says, firstly, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind. He actually asked them three questions. And they're all about the same, but they're consecutive. He asks them this one here and the next two, and they're all relatively the same. What did you go out to see? Before we look at the individual questions, notice, read it again with me. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? He's not talking about now. John, remember, is in prison. He's not talking about John right now. What, so you may be thinking, what did you come out to see now? No, what did you come out to see when it was John? All three questions are pertaining to John the Baptist. They're all past. What did you come out to see when John was free? 
what did you come out to see when John was preaching? So keep that in your mindset as he's asking them these questions. Just know that it's not now because John's still in prison. It was from before. It was for when John was free. So the first question, what is he saying? He says, what did you come out to see? A reed shaken by the wind. What is he referring to? What does a reed have anything to do with John the Baptist at all? John the Baptist, a man of God, what is he saying? A reed shaken by the wind. Well, the definition of a reed is a straight, is a reed is a straight stalk of any various tall grasses. What did he say? What did you come out to see? A reed shaken by the wind. He's saying, did you come out to see John the Baptist, a weak and wimpy man of God? Because see, a reed, every time the wind was blown, a reed would fall over and then maybe raise up. The reed would always be blowing in the wind. Any which way the wind was blown, the reed would blow. And so every strong or even slight wind, a reed, which is a tall, thin grass, would blow with that wind. He's saying, what did you come out to see in John the Baptist when he was preaching? Did you come out to see a weak and wimpy man of God that was blown around every time a little adversity came his way? Is that what you came out to see when you came out to see John the Baptist? Now, he doesn't get into in-depth here. He waits to the end of the questions to tell them what they really came out to saw. But do we know, is this right? Is this right? Did we see John the Baptist as a weak and wimpy man of God that got blown around every time a little adversity came his way? Now, you may be thinking, well, you know, John did just doubt in prison. Yeah, even the strongest man or woman of faith will doubt according to their circumstances sometimes. Even a strong man. But let's just look at how John preached for a moment. Remember, he was the one that stood toe-to-toe with the Pharisees and called them brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Who warned you? Now, these were prominent men in the religion of Judaism. He stood toe-to-toe with them as they came out to question him. Remember, it's the same John the Baptist that looked Herod and Herodias right in the face and said, you're in sin because you, Herod, married Herodias, your brother Philip's wife. And then let's now remember that what Herod did, Herod put John in prison for doing that. Now, don't you think for one moment that if John the Baptist would have been second-guessing what he did, you know, because we talked about last week, he was a man of God and he spoke out about on. He spoke out against ungodly things. Don't think for a minute that if John the Baptist wouldn't have said, if, hey, hey, guard, uh, come on over here. Hey, hey, come here. And the guard comes over. I, I need to talk to Herod. It's very important. And Herod, come on down. And Herod would have, and John would have said, hey, Herod, I, I just want to let you know, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I'll take it back, even publicly. I'm so sorry. Please get me out of this prison. I don't want to be anymore. I was wrong. You can marry anybody you want. I'm, I'm sorry. Don't you think for a moment that Herod, with all his pride, and Herodias with all her pride, they wouldn't have let John out of prison in a heartbeat just so he could proclaim Herod's goodness and Herod's non-sinfulness. He would have let him out in a heartbeat. And don't you think that that old tricky devil 
wouldn't in a heartbeat have been say, speaking in John's ear, hey, John, all you have to do is apologize and they'll let, they'll, they'll let you out. You don't have to suffer anymore. They'll, you can go out and you can have a free life again. So don't think for a minute that wasn't going through John's mind. So did John do that? We read last week, absolutely not. He stayed in prison until Herodias got her revenge because she was an evil woman and he, John's head was cut off. Now, a weak and wimpy man of God that was blown around like a reed tossed in the wind, like Jesus said, if that's what really came out to see, he would have he would have gone ahead and kowtowed down and said, oh, I'm so sorry, John, or Herod, please just get me out of this prison, but that's not what we see. So, that's not true. So, verse 8, read it. This is the second question. He says, Jesus says, But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. So Jesus answers this one right away. He says, basically, who you came out to see John the Baptist, that's not who John the Baptist was. He definitely wasn't sitting in king's houses dressed in soft clothing. And now do we see that? And when we look at John the Baptist's life, do we see that John was in nice clothing and walked around and lived in king's houses and, you know, lived a very easy, easy lifestyle. Uh, if we go to, if you want to go to Matthew 3, verse 4, there's a description of John that we read about already and when, we, when we studied it. But in John 3, 4, we have this description of John. We read, Now John himself was clothed in camels here. Yikes. That doesn't sound too comfortable. With a leather belt around his waist. That doesn't sound like somebody that's in a king's house or with soft clothing. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Well, I can assure you that people in king's houses weren't wearing camel's hair with a leather belt and eating, eating locusts and wild honey. They had the best delicacies that they could have, and they had the nice, most beautiful clothing that anybody could ever wear. This was not John, and nothing about his life spoke to me that he had an easy life sitting in king's houses, wearing the softest clothing. So, eh, that one wasn't right. So, question three, verse nine. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. So here he says, hey, if you came out to see a prophet, now you're, now you're getting just a little closer. Now you're just getting, but not quite on the money. Not quite there, because if John was just a prophet, he couldn't, be, he couldn't be more than a prophet. Jesus just said he was more than a prophet. So they, almost right. Yeah, you came out to see a prophet, but he wasn't quite, he was a little bit more than just a prophet. He was more than a prophet. That's awesome. God was mighty proud of John. In fact, God doesn't acknowledge anybody in Scripture from the cover, from Genesis to Revelation, God doesn't reverence or hold in high regard as high as he did John here to anybody else in the whole entire Bible. Yeah, sure, David had, he's a man after my own heart, and we have Enoch, you know, Enoch walked with God, and, you know, God saw him worthy and took him up into the cross. But nobody had the kind of affirmation, the kind of positive Powerful words that Jesus Christ, as God said about John the Baptist here, to anybody else in the whole Bible, nobody had this kind of saying about them.
all I could say is wow. And I could challenge each one of you as it's even challenged me. And I got this to say to you, anybody that's listening. We, as God's real children, anybody that's listening to this, that's really God's child, we should strive with our lives that we get for Christ because we only get one life to live. We don't get more. We only get one. We should strive with all of our lives that are within us to hear God say this about us when we die. Amen? This should be something that should be every Christian's desire to hear God say of them when they die and see God face to face. Because everybody will die and everybody will see God face to face. And God will say something to you when he sees you face to face. Christian, make it your aim to hear God say this about you. Yes, so-and-so. Oh, yes, that's so-and-so. He's a prophet. He's more than a prophet, in fact. He's more than a prophet. Moving right along, verse 10. Why was he more than a prophet? Verse 10. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Now, the main reason, and I believe that there's another reason, we'll get to that in a little bit, but the main reason that John was more than a prophet wasn't just because he was a mighty man of God. I, I believe that was one of the reasons, too. But I believe there's more than that. I believe it's because he was the one. He, he was more than a prophet because he was the one that God foretold to tell about, to come before the Christ, the Messiah, as he was coming in to teach his message about God's kingdom. He was the forerunner for Christ. God spoke about him in the Old Testament Christian Bible or the Tanakh, if you're Jewish. He called the Jewish Bible, if you will. And the location of that, if you're interested and you want to go, otherwise you could just read it along, is Malachi 3.1. So we have Malachi 3.1. We have the prophecy of John the Baptist that came to be the forerunner of the Christ. And I want you to, we're going to point out some interesting things in this, in this prophecy just and look at how Jesus said it. And so we're going to look at how awesome John was because he did it, but also how awesome what Jesus really says here. Malachi 3.1 says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now here we have in verse 10, if you want to go to Matthew eleven ten, we have Jesus he changes it a little bit when he says it. And he does this on purpose, and you'll see why. He says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. But yet we go to Malachi 3, 1, and he says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Now, in case you didn't know, God Almighty was speaking in Malachi 3.1. And in Malachi 3.1, God says of himself, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. So God Almighty is speaking that to Malachi. But Jesus changes just a little bit here in Matthew 11.10. He says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Wait a minute now. Why did Jesus change it 
to your. But God said me in Malachi 3.1. What is Jesus saying? Is he yet again? Is he yet again saying that he's God? Of course he is. Of course Christ is saying again here, I'm God. I'm the God that talked to Malachi. I'm the God Almighty, just wrapped in human flesh. Yeah, 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 John the Baptist, he's more than, more than a prophet. Yeah, we're, we're going to get back to that. But just for a moment, you have to look at how powerful this is because Jesus slides this in. Like I said a few weeks ago or a couple months ago, Jesus slides this message of his deity, of his godness, into the whole New Testament of the Bible, into the whole, every, every gospel. Jesus is really slipping it in there. I'm God. Hey, I'm God. Yeah, yo, the Son of Man, the Son of God came not to... Con yes, and he also calls himself the Son of God. So which one is it? Is he the Son of God or is he God too? Well, he's both. He's both. He was God wrapped in human flesh. But he was also the Son of God because he was born of Mary. So yes, that's awesome testimony of John the Baptist, Malachi 3.1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, God Almighty speaking, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. So this is what we see. John the Baptist came, is the forerunner to Christ. He spoke about Christ Jesus. He spoke about the Messiah to come. Jesus was the coming one. And what happened? Jesus comes, baptizes him. One shortly after, Jesus goes to the temple. So exactly what God spoke in Malachi is exactly what Jesus did, except for there was a little throw in there that we had to go in there. Malachi 3.1 says, God speaks of himself referencing me. Jesus says before your face, meaning that God in the flesh. The your was not him almighty spirit God, but him in almighty spirit God wrapped in human flesh. Isn't that awesome? I just love how we get to see that all the time. Jesus says he's God. Everywhere throughout the whole Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. On a side note as well, too, a little bit off John the Baptist. I love prophecy. I love prophecy. Because prophecy is one of the ways that God gave us to test the Bible. To see if it was really real. Because otherwise, it could just be a, just another book written by just another man, like all the other books out there, written by all the other men. But I can't tell the future, and you can't tell the future, and my neighbor can't tell the future, and the people listening to me online can't tell the future, and my, my, uh, my co-workers at work can't tell the future. Only one person can tell the future, and that'd be God Almighty. Now, Malachi was a prophet anywhere between four to 600 years before Christ lived, and he wrote that God, through Malachi, wrote this prophecy of Christ before he came, Four to six hundred years, two to four hundred years before Christ lived. So prophecy is one of those things that God gave us to show us, hey, my word is real. Hey, people, my word is real. I'm going to say things way before they happen, and then they're going to come to pass, and then you're going to know it was me. Prophecy makes the Bible true. So moving on, verse 11. Back to John for a little bit. First part of 11. So Jesus says of John again, Assuredly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Let that sink into your skull for a second. 
among those born of women. That would even include you, because if you were born of a woman, which we all are, there's not a man on earth that's been born outside of being born of a woman. All those being born among women, which would include everybody from Adam to the last person born just now on the face of the planet right now, there's not arisen one greater than John the Baptist. Do you realize what Jesus just said? No man on the face of the planet ever or ever would be greater than John the Baptist. There has not been, not risen one greater than John the Baptist. He was speaking about until John the Baptist. I have to recant that just for a moment. So excluding us for today, of course, I doubt it would change today. But up until John the Baptist, so from Adam to John the Baptist, not one rose greater than John the Baptist. Now, I could think of lots of prophets in the Old Testament that I could maybe think were greater than John the Baptist. One of my favorites is the prophet Isaiah, who gave the, prophet, who gave the famous prophecy of Isaiah 53, or the suffering servant, Jesus to come into the world, and he was going to you know, die for our sins, and he was going to take the penalty for our sin on himself. That's all in Isaiah chapter 53. About 800 years before Christ lived. So I could think of great men. Moses, I would think, anyway, would be a greater man than John the Baptist, but not according to Christ. Not one risen greater than John the Baptist of any man that's ever been born up until John on the face of the planet. This has to be the single greatest compliment that God has given any one man in the Bible ever. There's not been risen one greater than John among born all women up till John. That's powerful, folks. That's powerful. Now, again, I go back. Why was John so great? John was so great, number one. Of course, because there's only one that came to tell about the Christ. And, of course, John was that one. There was only one and there could only be one. And John was that one. So, of course, that puts him in a very unique category right then and there. But I also believe that God honors our service unto him as well, too. And John, I don't know many people that were greater preachers, that were more sold out for Christ, that were more sold out for the message of God than John the Baptist was when he lived on the face of the planet. There was hardly a man that was more dedicated than John the Baptist. He was a great man of God. He was a great preacher. He was a powerful preacher. And I think that that kind of had a little bit to do with it through to, to throw in there. Now, second half of verse 11. We switch gears almost completely. Let's read it. He says, Jesus says, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So he just said, in case you just missed it, a little simplified, the person that's least in the kingdom of heaven, because there will be great people in the kingdom of heaven, but there will be people that are low in the kingdom of heaven. All depends on you and, and what you do for God down here. But there will be little people in the kingdom of heaven. There will be people that, that, that are in there. They're just not you know, of great stature. But then there'll be really great people. Now, John the Baptist, once he went to heaven, had to be one of the greatest people in heaven ever. But at this moment now, Jesus is just saying, the least in the kingdom of heaven, the person that's the smallest, the least work of least... They loved God, but you know, they, they served God, but just wasn't that, you know, wasn't that outstanding. The least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. What? What? Are you serious? 
I, I just, did I read it? I get, let's read it again. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than the guy that I just spent half a chapter. Oh, wait, I got off a little bit. That, that's okay. The guy that just spent, I just spent talking a half a chapter about how great this man was. Well, how many good things he's done, how many, how many powerful things he's spoken about me, and the kind of man he was, and the prophecy that I gave about him, you know, when I spoke to Malachi and all the the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than this guy I just talked about for half a chapter. I, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. What? Does he change here? Does he disrespect John here? I mean, he turns completely away from John and starts giving all the props now, all the praise now to people that are in even the lowest person in the kingdom of heaven. How could the least person in the kingdom of heaven be greater than John, one of the, the, the at, up until John was born, the greatest man ever born to a woman? I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, I don't think Jesus was meaning to disrespect. I just think that there's so much that goes into why the least person is greater than even John. Because let's call him now, this is where we get the title of our sermon, Citizens of Heaven. The Citizens of Heaven. That's the title of our sermon. Because we focus now on the citizens of heaven. The first reason I believe that the least citizen of heaven is greater than this great man of God on earth is because, see, before Christ came and before he died for our sins on the cross, before any of that happened, no man, woman, or child that died got to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not one of them. They all went to a place that Jesus describes in Luke called Abraham's bosom because not one of them got to enter in with Christ with God to be in heaven forever. They all stayed in hell, but it wasn't in hell. It was like a little side space to hell where there was, wasn't really suffering, wasn't really burning, but it was just like a temporary place. It would almost be like what the Catholics call purgatory, even though it wasn't purgatory. There was no burning or no hurting or no pain there. It was just a place where those that were faithful to God stayed until Christ came and Christ paid the sin penalty and opened up heaven. But the Bible says it like this, because I may not have said it really good. So I'm going to take you through some scripture now and tell you how the Bible says it. Our first location that we go through, the Bible says it. God tells us through Peter. In 1 Peter 3, 18 and 19, and Peter says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Notice how we couldn't come, I just said we couldn't come to God before Christ died for the sins, and that's exactly what Peter says here. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And he goes on to say, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, but whom also he went and by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Whoa. Just what I said. Look at there. Yes, that's right. Jesus went and preached a sermon to those people that were in a piece of hell. Isn't that something? Where were these prison, or where was, where was this prison and these prisoners? They were in the center of the earth, as Matthew tells us, Jesus tells us in Matthew 12, 40. Jesus tells us, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So you see, Jesus Christ died on the cross, and he descended into the lower pits of the earth to preach to those people that had believed in him and trusted in him for their whole lives, but they died without him 
being there to bring them to God. And then we got Matthew 27, 51 through 53. What happened after this? Jesus says, Behold, or I'm sorry, the Bible declares, now this is Christ was on the cross and he dies. And the Bible says, After he died, he breathed his last. Behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks split. And then, you could say after the resurrection, because it says it in the end, I'll get there in a second. And the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So you see, after Christ died, as he was descending to hell to Abraham's bosom to preach the gospel to the people in Abraham's bosom, the temple of the tales, the, temp, the, the veil of the temple split in two, signifying God broke the veil. He made the way to heaven for people. Jesus descended first to preach the gospel to these people that were awaiting his coming, but didn't get to see it. And it wasn't, there was no way to God. And there he, when he ascended, because he ascended, Ephesians 4, 8, therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to man. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, amen. He died he descended into the lower pits of the earth. He preached the gospel to the captives. And as he ascended on the third day, people were coming out of their graves and walking into the streets and people could see him. And now people could finally go to heaven. At this point, people could finally go to heaven. Now, all this in three days? Well, we thought, I thought, you know, Jesus was dead and, and he, got, he got a little rest. Uh-uh, Jesus wasn't resting for three days. He was preaching. He, was, he didn't have no rest until after he ascended back to the Father in heaven. He was still preaching just like he did on earth three whole day. Isn't that something? So first reason, first reason, the citizens, the least citizen is more important, is greater than the, the greatest man ever to walk until John, until that time. It was because of what Jesus did for them so that, that they could go to heaven. Jesus paid a high price and he did a lot of stuff in order to get us to be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. <coughs> Excuse me. Praise God. Praise God that's powerful. But there's another reason. Outside of Christ going to great lengths for us to get there, because we can't ever forget that he went to great lengths in order to open up the heaven for us so that we could go when we died. People that were faithful to God could go when they died. Other than that, there's another great reason. There's another huge, powerful reason why the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than a great prophet like John the Baptist was here. And I say this, but then we'll put it like the Bible says it. Because they, the people that get to go to heaven, even the least, become residents of the greater kingdom than anything on earth. The greatest, most glorious kingdom ever made. That's where they got to go, even the least, 
to be. That's why, one of the second reason why they're greater than even a great man like John the Baptist. The Bible puts it like this. Hebrews 11.10 says that Abraham, a great man of faith, in what you'd call a hall of faith in the book of Hebrews, the great faith man Abraham, the father of faith, actually the Bible calls him, he said, the Bible says about him, that he waited for the city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. He was just a sojourner, the Bible called him on earth. He was just a sojourner. He was just passing through. He was, place wasn't a permanent place for him. He was looking forward to the city whose maker and builder was God. That's, that's, that's a huge reason. God made heaven. God made all eternity. That's a great reason to be there. That's a great reason why somebody would be there. 1 Corinthians 2.9, the Bible says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So think for a second right now for yourself. Think of the most beautiful thing that you could think of on the face of this planet right now. The greatest gaze, the greatest picture of heaven that you could ever see as far as the heavens, what I'm referring to like space. Most beautiful canyon, mountain range, most beautiful thing you'd ever seen ever on the face of the planet. And Paul writes, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of men the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So that means that God is preparing a place for those that love him that's greater than anything you've ever seen on the face of this planet. Wow! But there's even more. Revelation 21 John writes, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first heaven had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. What, do you realize what he just said? The place where God lives is now among men. And he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them, their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And down to 22, then John says, I saw no temple in it. So there's no more church? No, there's no more church. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall, not, shall never be shut day or night or, or during the day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that's evil or defiles or causes an abominations or a lie. 
but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, why is that least person in the kingdom of heaven greater than even the great John the Baptist, the greatest, probably one of the greatest men of God ever? Number one, what Jesus did to get us there. What Jesus Christ did in order to make people a citizen of heaven. And number two, look at it. Greater and more beautiful than anything you could imagine ever. You haven't even thought that verse in Corinthians, you haven't even thought about something as so wonderful as what God has prepared for you. And this heavenly residence is without sin. There's no evil there. The kingdom's without pain. It's without suffering. The kingdom doesn't have any temples or churches because even a greater treasure's there. God, the hallowed Father, and the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who took away the sins of the world, He's there. He's there. And the Bible says that we'll get to dwell with Him if you're faithful to God forever and ever and ever. And you'll get to bask in His light and in His glory forever and ever and ever. Forget about this sun that we got that scorches us and that hurts and makes us sweat when it's hot outside and when we got to work outside. Forget about that old earthly sun. Forget, get out of here. For the Lamb of God is that city's light. The Lamb of God is the light of heaven. There's not even going to be any denominations in heaven. All denominations are all going to be wiped away. There's only going to be one church. And that's going to be the one church of God, the one church of Jesus Christ. God and His Son, that's going to be the only temple there, is God and His Son that are there. So Jesus is not disrespecting John here at all. He's stating the fact that the least citizen of the, he- of the kingdom of heaven is greater because of their residence. Or the kingdom that we or they get to live in is greater than the earthly one that can ever be on this planet. That can ever, the greatest prophet ever could live in. The kingdom of heaven is greater. That's what makes the least in the kingdom of heaven greater than even the greatest man of God to ever walk the face of the planet. The citizens of heaven. Now, speaking of being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven someday. Well, we know right now that the only way to get to this kingdom of heaven is to die. As of right now, there's the only way to get there is when we die because no flesh shall enter into this kingdom. Only a spirit, only a soul can go there now. There's only one way that we get to be there because it's not a, it's not a physical kingdom. So we know when somebody dies, then they get to pass on to that next eternal residence. It's just that not everybody will be able to go to this kingdom of heaven. Not everybody will get to go. I know that may be a shock to you if you're listening and you're in America. You may be thinking, but wait a minute. I've heard people say, there's like 85% of people in America, they're, they're, they're believers, they're Christians. Well, that's not quite right. I ask you the question today. If you died right now, if this were to be your death today, right now, today, 
Would you become a citizen of heaven or a citizen of hell? The Bible declares in Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed for man to die once, but after this, the judgment. At your judgment, God will judge you either worthy of the kingdom of heaven or he'll condemn you to the kingdom of hell where you'll be forever and ever and ever in one of those two places. He'll either say, yes, come on in. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Or he'll say, be gone from me. I never knew you. And he'll cast you out into outer darkness. Where will you stand during the hour of your judgment? This is the single greatest question that anybody will ever ask you in this lifetime. Don't let America lie to you, because you'll hear in America the the single most greatest concern or question you have to answer in your life is, is what what kind of house are you going to have? Or or your job. What kind of job are you going to have? You need to make these big decisions now, you know, Getting a house is important, you know, you got to have a family and getting a house and, and getting a good job. Well, that's important too. We got to make sure we have a good job. No, because what if you don't live to get that great job? What if you die before that? What if you die before you get that house that America tells you that you need? What if you're dead before that? Then you don't even have to answer those questions at all. But this question here, where will you stand before God on Judgment Day? This is the biggest, most important question anybody has to answer now and on the other side of eternity. The biggest one. And there's three answers. First answer, absolutely. Yes, I'm going. Number two, well, I'm just not sure. And number three, no, I just don't think I'm going to make it. No, that's, that's not going to be me. So number one question, I'll talk to you. If you're sure, and you could say, now, absolutely, I'm sure, I'm going. I, the moment I die, I'm right there with God, and I'm going to be with him forever. Well, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, he says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because, a na- because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. How do you know if you really take that last breath and then wake up before God and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. How do you know? If Jesus said, few there be that find life and many there would be that find death, find hell, that find destruction, how do you know you're one of the few? I'll let you know if you're one of the few now. Do you live for Christ? Is Christ your Lord or do you allow other things to come in and be your God? Do you honor God with your life? Do people around you know that you love Jesus? Or do they just know nothing about you at all? Little tests. Little tests. What do you love to speak about? Is God a topic that you like to talk to people about or do you, are you ashamed of him? Are you ashamed to talk about him? When somebody were to follow you around every day, would they see that you live for Christ by your actions or would they only know 
by Sunday morning when you come into church and you say, oh, hey, praise God, I'm here, I'm at church. Because folks, few that be that find it mean that few people are going to go to heaven. And the Bible says that a real Christian is somebody that lives for Jesus Christ. And where Jesus Christ is their Lord, they not only profess Him, but they live for Him. And everything that they do, they watch their ways before Him. They surrender to Him daily. They make Him their Lord daily. They constantly turn to Him. They don't live in sin. But, oh, I'm a Christian and uh, I, 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 you know, it's okay. I, I have relations with my girlfriend and we live together. And that's not a Christian, folks. You're one of the many. And you're deceived. So please, for your sake, go to the Bible and line up your life with God's Word and make sure that you are one of the few. Because there's so many, especially in America, that think that they're Christians, but they're not Christians at all. They're deceiving themselves. They're lost, and they're dying, and they're deceived. So please, go to the Word of God and test yourselves. And if you are one, praise God. Look forward to the great kingdom of heaven that you get to live in for forever. Now, addressing both questions two and three, I'm just not sure or no. I just won't make it. Or, you know, I just don't know. Well, the Bible says then you're in danger if that's you. You're in danger. Because if you're not sure... The Bible says that if you are really saved, you know it. And if you can say, no, I'm not, then the Bible says that God wants you to be. Either one, God wants you to be. Christ paid a high price on the cross for you to die for your sins, to pay the sin penalty for you so that you didn't have to when you stand before God. Because when we stand before God, if Christ isn't paying our sin penalty, then you'll have to by your good works. And no man's lived a greater, less sinful life than Jesus Christ. And only a sinless, only the sinless, sinless lamb of, lamb of God could die for the sins Amen. of the whole world. So how do we do that? How do you do that? You may be saying, but... And I'm not sure. I, I just don't know. I, I don't know. Have I done that? Or I'm just not sure. Well, so you know, you don't have to really know. I mean, you can know. You can absolutely know. But on God's side, 2 Peter 3.9 says that God desires none to perish and all to come to repentance. So on God's end, he wants everybody to be saved. He wants you to be saved. He wants the guy that's not sure to be saved. He wants the guy that says no to be saved. On God's end. That's God. That's His heart. Now, what kind of heart will you have? What kind of heart will you have, oh man? Will you have the heart of God? If you turn to Christ Jesus today, and you surrender your life to Him now, and you decide to put all your trust in Him and not you for your good works and all your good deeds that you've ever done, He promises to take away all your sins he takes them upon himself and he makes you instantaneously a soon-to-be resident of the kingdom of heaven if you were to die even right now. Where you can be the one that he gave up everything just to have and to be with 
forever. Because that's his heart. He wants to save us. So if you'll just turn to him and stop living for you and start living for him and surrender to him and give him that Lord place in your heart. Let him fill that void in your heart and surrender to him and cry out to him right now, Jesus Christ, I need you. And if you cry out to him and desire him, he already is desiring you. He already desires us. On his end, he desires everybody to be saved. On our end, he said, few are going to find it. That's so sad because God wants everybody. But few people are going to make it. and It's not God's fault. He wants you to desire him. He wants you to turn to him now because he loves you so much and he paid a great price for you. And look at all the things that he even did just in those three days that he died for you. He died. He descended. Earth is already bad enough, folks. He left all of heaven to come to earth for you. He left all perfection to come to earth for you. Then on top of that, then he descended into the lower parts of the earth for those that were faithful to him before they could even get to heaven. And then three days, in those three days, he rose on the last day and all the people that went there got to come out and any of us now will get to go up there and be with him forever. Do we desire him? Do you want him? Cry out to him. Pray to him, please. Seek his face. Get into the word. Start investigating him for yourself. Please, because his desire is that you not perish, but you come to know him. Please come to Christ now. Surrender to him before it's too late and you die in your sins. Jesus Christ loves you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this word today. Thank you so much for your word to us, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord God, that we get to be, we can be, that it's even available for anybody to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Lord, but as somebody that loves you, Lord, I don't want to be the least citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Lord, I want to be one of the greatest. Lord, so everyone that I'm preaching to right now that's listening to me, I pray the same for them too, Lord, that you would break our hearts to serve you with fervor and to serve you with fervency and and passion and we'd serve you with unashamedness, Lord God, that we'd serve you so that, Lord, our works will be great before you. Not, Not working so that we can be saved, Lord, but working because we're so grateful to you for being saved. I pray you bless us all with a hot, passionate desire to see the world changed for Christ. And Lord, for those that aren't yours, right now, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to you by your Holy Spirit. Draw them to your Son, Jesus Christ, right now. Show them that they're not right, Lord. Show it to them in their hearts. And Lord, as they see, oh no, what have I done? Where am I? I'm lost. Lord, as you beckon them to you, Lord, I pray that they would fall down and cry out to you right now. Just say, Jesus, save me. I don't want to be this way anymore. I want to be yours, and I want to be in that kingdom. I want to be even the least in that, a least citizen in that kingdom of heaven where I get to be with you forever. The one that paid such a wonderful, awesome price for me. Draw them to you right now, Lord. I ask these things and I've prayed them all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We would-
like to thank everyone who has joined us today to listen to Pastor Ed Spagnoli bring us more biblical truth as he preaches verse by verse through the Bible. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged to respond to the word of the Lord today as one life will soon be passed and only what is done for Jesus Christ will last. If you would like to support this ministry or contact us for prayer or for any reason at all, please visit gospelsavingchurch.com and enjoy our beautiful new website and click on the appropriate links. God bless you.